I do love that we're sitting here trying to make sense of this. Greetings, programs, and welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport. I'm Joe Hidua. And I'm Zachary Wander. And today we are doing another Movie Club episode. We have all watched Tron the 1982 science fiction adventure film written and directed by Steven Lisberger. And uh, I will include a link in the show notes to where you can watch it legally if you want to watch it before listening to this episode. Um, I believe as of when we're recording, it's only streaming on Disney+, Plus, but you can also buy and rent it from all the places where you can buy and rent movies. It stars Jeff Bridges as Kevin Flynn, a video game programmer who is sucked into a computer. Uh, He also plays uh, Kevin Flynn's program Clue. Uh, There's also Bruce Boxleitner, who plays Alan Bradley, another programmer, and he also plays the program Tron. And there's also uh, David Weiner as Ed Dillinger and Sark, uh, Cindy Morgan as Laura Baines and Yori, and Bernard Hughes as Walter Gibbs and Dumont, and a couple other people. Before we get to the movie, I wanted to talk a little bit about the production of the movie, because I think it definitely makes Tron a lot more interesting. So Tron originated as a 30-second-long backlit animation that was used to promote Lisberger's animation studio. They just kind of made this demo that looked cool. Um, and it was this glowing man on a black background throwing these discs of light. Um, and that was also sold to uh, rock radio stations as TV ads to make some money for the animation studio. So Lisberger and his animation studio hoped to create Tron as an independent movie sometime after it finished these uh, animated Olympic specials for NBC. So this was before the Uh, 1980 Summer Olympics, and they were making these animations of, like, animals doing the Olympics that were going to be, like, interjected in the broadcast as just something fun. I don't really know. Um, But uh, those specials were canceled uh, as NBC significantly scaled back the coverage of the 1980 Olympics because the U.S. and a bunch of other countries were boycotting it because it happened right after the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan and the Olympics were in Moscow. (laughs) Wait a minute. Do you have the year right? The 1980 Olympics were in Lake Placid, New York. It is 1980. Was there winter and summer in the same year in 1980? Uh, yes. Yes, there was. What the heck? Yeah. Sorry, I forgot about that. Never mind. Okay. Continue. <laughs> so, Lisberger Studios suddenly needed more resources to create the Tron movie, so it was pitched to Disney after unsuccessfully approaching Warner Bros., MGM, and Columbia Pictures. None of those were interested, but Disney was. Uh, Disney executives thought the pitch was interesting, and the company was falling behind other studios in pushing boundaries in live-action and animated movies. At the time, this was, you know, well before the golden age of Disney animation, and most of their live-action stuff at the time was, like, the Herbie movies. So uh, they kind of needed something new, but it wasn't clear 
if the technology would work. Uh, so Disney asked Lisberger to uh, film a test scene. It was filmed on a set with all white backgrounds using 35 millimeter black and white film. And they casted a Frisbee champion, Sam Schatz, uh, as a program to throw disc in a costume. And I think he was like breaking out of a jail or something. And the test was successful and production on Tron went forward. But for filming the actual movie, they decided to switch to all black backgrounds because uh, that was much easier to light. Now, the, the really crazy thing with Tron, all of the scenes in Tron that are in the computer world were animated like a traditional animated film, like a hand-drawn animation. So in all of the live-action scenes, uh, the actors had costumes that were mostly white, uh, like the lines on the costume were black, the background was black, um, and then each frame was printed and separated into different exposures for the costume, background, and faces, and then all that was combined by animators using custom film developed by Kodak specifically for this movie. The simpler scenes had around six to seven layers, and more complex scenes had uh, more than 20. Um, so this is just a lot of like manual animation work, uh, which is ironic for being a movie set in a computer that computers actually didn't have much <laughs> to do with making this movie. One of the fun things that happened during production was uh, a flickering effect was uh, present in some scenes because of an error in the animation process. Uh, I think they're using like some of the cells like out of the order of when they're supposed to be used. Um, but fixing it would take too long. So instead they just added like sound effects in the movie to make them seem as, like <laughs> glitches. Uh, and you can, you can see that when you're watching the movie. Um, I think it happens when like they're in sort of the jail before the games and the lights are like flickering. It happens in a couple parts. Um, that's kind of funny. I think I did notice that. Yeah. It, it was weird seeing like it looks like bad green screen yeah it when you're watching the movie but the like especially the like, masking is really yeah bad. the edges of people have sort of like the, the same thing you get with like hand-drawn where it's not like a perfectly straight line or like consistent from frame to frame it is like flickering now tron wasn't the first film to use computer generated images but it was one of the first to use cgi on a large scale for entire scenes uh, the CGI was completed by Information International, Inc., Mathematical Applications Group, Inc., Robert Abel and Associates, and Digital Effects. Uh, none of those companies exist today, as far as I know. And there were definitely issues with that part as well. One of the things that came up was it turned out to be more difficult than they thought to align the camera backgrounds with the CGI images. So, like, where someone was supposed to stand, like, wasn't calculated right because the software they were using couldn't account for lens distortion and other effects like that. So they had to keep, like, moving the backgrounds around manually <laughs> to sort of yeah, make sure, yeah. like, someone was still standing, like, on a platform or, or wherever they were supposed to be. Um, and also, depending on the scene, some frames took up to six hours to produce. Um, but we do eventually get a movie out of it. We sure did. I started taking notes in the beginning of the movie, and then I stopped. And then you fell asleep. The la well, the last thing I wrote is, "Now that is a big door." <laughs> <laughs> which which big door was that? It's, the, uh, it's it was, when he says it was it. the big door. The security door. He says the line, "Now that is a big door." 
I I had to write down meanwhile in the real world. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I liked a big door, and then I like in Tron Legacy when they have another big door. Exactly. And he says, Whoa, that's a big door. So the movie starts with uh it's at Flynn's arcade, and someone is playing a Tron light cycle arcade machine in the arcade, which is really funny because after this movie, uh Disney teams up with I think Midway to make actual Tron arcade cabinets. So those do exist in real life. Um, the but, game's not called Tron, though, that they're playing. Uh, it's, just, it's just called, like, Light Cycle or something. Yeah, yeah, it's not called Tron in the movie. But they're they're playing the, this Light Cycle game, and then the movie kind of, like, zooms in to show the game in the computer. Um, and the person sort of playing the game is, like, one program, and then the, like, computer player is uh, Sark. Immediately brings up the point that I, I don't, think i understand which is is like every computer and game system in this world like networked yeah that was that was my question everything seems to be networked yeah because sark is in got the internet in that initial uh game cabinet like you see his face and then like afterwards he goes to uh his boss which is the master control program and he's like you gotta keep you gotta stop giving me these easy ones so I think it's the same Sark. It's not like a duplicate. I don't know. Um, well, they seem to treat programs as entirely unique. Yeah. Like if there is a program, there is no other version of that program. That program is a person. Yeah, so I'm not entirely clear on that point, but that's okay. Um, so Sark is, is sort of established as the... I guess, like, military ruler of the grid, or the one in charge of, like, whatever the military is. Um, he's taking orders from the Master Control Program, which is this big evil program that is absorbing useful programs and then sending the rest to die in video games. So, basically, Tron predicted bloatware. Um, Master Control Program is the <laughs> Facebook app. Yes. Then the movie cuts to uh, Kevin Flynn, played by Jeff Bridges. He's hacking into Encom system using a stolen password, and he sends his program Clue to retrieve some data. And this is when the movie establishes that the programs look exactly like the people who made them in real life, and they're also played by the same people. So Clue looks like Flynn. It's, it's Jeff Bridges. The only exception, though, is, and this is not a unique, thought by me i've heard other people say this about the movie the sark sark and dillinger like dillinger never has his own program he's only ever just like talking to master control there's not like a connection between dillinger and, and sark they're the same actor i know they're the same actor but we're i'm In saying his, um, dillinger doesn't have a program he's always just using master control oh yeah yeah i don't know if I don't know if it's established if he made Sark or not, but yeah, he's always talking to the MCP, um, which I, I definitely wrote as MCU multiple times in my notes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Clue is attacked and captured by these enemy ships that I, uh, they're called recognizers. I don't really know how to d describe them. They're like sort of like rectangle things with legs and they sort of like 
step on. It's like an upside down U shape. Yeah. Yeah. That's square. They look pretty cool. Yeah, they are cool. And they're in Tron Legacy. And uh, Clue is sent to the Master Control Program, where uh, the MCP is asking who sent him. Uh, Clue won't say anything, and then so he's he's killed, which in, in the co- computer world is called D-Rezzed. They have a cool name for it. Do we know what it's supposed to stand for? Like, is it... D-Resolution. D-Resolution? Yeah. It is, yeah, it is. I The thing that I wrote, I don't remember what exactly was happening, but in my notes... Uh, during this like intro part of the movie, I wrote, "No idea what's going on," <laughs> and that was my <laughs> thought as as I was like, "If I'm watching this as someone who has never seen this before and has no idea what I'm about to be watching, it it's the beginning of this movie is so like, what is happening? What is this? It also takes a really long time to happen." Yeah, it's. I know they're they're trying to do a show not tell, but it 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 does take a while to like fully figure out what's happening if you've never seen this movie before. And also, I would I imagine mean, I wrote down multiple times where they just narrated to themselves. <laughs> yeah, like I've got to get to the central whatever. Well, I feel like I feel like the movie should have started in the real world, and. There's like the scene where Tron or where where Flynn eventually gets in there, and they're in like the prison or whatever. I feel like that should have been the fr- that should have been the first time you see the programs because they kind of like explain the whole program thing in that scene. And I'm like, this could have been a better introduction to the, the yeah. grid or whatever. Yeah, because yeah, they... they barely spend any time on the actual games part which is like the main part of the movie description like he's thrown into gladiatorial style games he does one and a half and then the rest of the movie is walking through fun geometric landscapes <laughs> that that is a good subtitle for this movie fun geometric landscapes <laughs> yeah, yeah they shouldn't yeah. call it the grid just call it that yeah that that is probably making it more complicated it's like I think like they want they did that because they were like very excited about how cool the movie looked, so they wanted to show it off immediately. But it does kind of make it more complicated. I would imagine also this movie would be much more complicated in 1982, uh, when most people didn't have computers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and on a budget of 17 million dollars, which is small even for 1982. I think the not people not having computers works in its favor though because another thing i wrote down in this part of the movie was they are saying complete nonsense and they can <laughs> say complete nonsense because no one knows that that was that was something like when they for whatever reason they replaced to think with to calculate they were like <laughs> yeah. what does he calculate he's going to do with all those programs and then later in the movie they just completely give up on that and they say what do you think you're doing or like i I need you not to think. And it was just like, what was the point of that line? So then the movie switches back to the real world. Uh, and we see, uh, and it Ed tells Dillon. you, yeah, it tells you, it says back in the meanwhile, meanwhile, in the real world, in the real world, um, <laughs> as if that wasn't very clearly indicated by the fact that the computer world is completely black and the real world is, it looks like the real world, but that's fine. Um, 
So the movie cuts to uh, Ed Dillinger going to his office, who's like this senior executive person at this company called Encom, which I usually when like movies like this have a fictional company, they're like very obviously riffing off of a real life company. I don't know if it's because it's this movie's from 1982, so maybe there's references I don't get, but I, I don't feel like that was the case with Encom. It's just kind of like this like generic uh, like technology company. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only thing it sound, the like, name sounds similar to is Enron. Also, I will say, uh, pretty, pretty badass logo, Encom. I do really like <laughs> the logo. That, that first shot of the like neon red uh, and black helicopter with the Encom logo, it's like, oof, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> cool. So, so Ed, Ed Dillinger is sort of summoned to his office by the master control program, and he gets to his, his office, and I want to talk about his, like, computer desk for a second. This is really cool. It he is has, like He has, like, a giant, like, black desk in his office, and I guess the entire top part is, like, a touchscreen, and he's shown, like, typing on a touchscreen keyboard on his table, and then, like, uh, like, security cam footage shows up on, like, one corner, and then on the other corner is, like, the text of whatever the master control program is telling him. It's very cool. Yeah. At his very cool desk, uh, the MCP warns Dillinger that someone, likely Kevin Flynn, is attempting to hack into their systems, and... He's not sure, but it felt like it Flynn. It felt like Flynn. Uh, Somehow... The MCP knows a lot about Flynn, but I guess not what he looks like. And uh, Dillinger shuts down most access to the network as a precautionary measure. Um, also in this conversation, uh, and, and every other time the MCP speaks, uh, it ends all conversations with end of line, which then kind of becomes like a, a line that gets brought up over and over again with these movies. Um, I think in, in Tron Legacy... The big like sky club thing they're in is the end of line club, I think. Yeah. Um, but There's some that... point in that movie where Jeff Bridges says like end of line, man. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, stay tuned for the, the Tron Legacy movie club episode, which will be five hours long. Should we talk about what the master control program visually looks like in the computer world? <laughs> the face. Yeah. yeah, we don't we don't what see it until much. Well, no, no, we do because we see it when he's uh, he's derezzing Clue. We see mm -hmm. his face. It is extremely silly. <laughs> it's so funny. It's. I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's stretched like, it around a cylinder yeah and then made the bottom of the cylinder a pointy cone <laughs> it kind of it kind of looks like uh if like modok from marvel was like <laughs> in a computer and much bigger and yeah. had and had no other body it was just the face it's evil it's legends weird. of the hidden temple uh whatever that thing is called so then the the movie cuts to alan bradley who is a a uh, programmer at Encom, and he's annoyed because he is locked out from his files. And he goes to Dillinger's office to ask why. Uh, Dillinger says the lockout is only for a few days for security. And Alan mentions that he is working on Tron, 
which is an independent security program that could monitor the whole system and the MCP. Um, and then after Bradley leaves, the MCP gets like really annoyed with Dillinger uh, because if Tron was running, then it would detect that the MCP is hacking into a bunch of other computer systems. Like the Pentagon that they throw out there yeah, they, and then never mention again. Yeah, they, they said the MCP wanted to hack the Pentagon and Russian state systems, uh, which surprises Dillinger, who thought it was still only breaking into like other companies networks i love to how it says that it could run things i don't i didn't write it down but like it gave a range of percentage more efficiently than humans like this computer didn't even know for sure how much more efficient it could be it was just like well it could be like maybe this much more it was a lot yeah didn't give just, a specific yeah and then after it says that dillinger gets kind of like freaked out like okay buddy like i don't know what you're doing um, and then the MCP blackmails him into keeping quiet. And then at the same time, the, the movie then cuts again to uh, Laura Baines and Walter Gibbs in the Incom laboratory, I guess. It's like a big lab thing with lasers. Um, and they are testing a digitizing beam that turns a physical object into data and then returns it, which will become important later. Um, <laughs> they do an orange. They do. Yeah. Which uh, I'm this, I'm thinking now of later in the movie, and I'm like, is there just a pile of oranges somewhere in in the grid? <laughs> also, yeah, they never bring the oranges back. Also, more important question. Okay, we've established the they, they do the test on the orange. It's like, all right, the movie has established that the computer can digitize an orange, so naturally it should also be able to digitize a person and put them inside the computer game. Well, Jeff Bridges shares a lot of DNA with an orange. Sure, of course. Kevin Flynn shows up as a human-shaped orange. <laughs> oh no! As oh, annoying no. orange. What have we done? This this is where annoying orange is from. <laughs> oh no. Um, the effect the um the effect that they do on the digitizing like the orange and eventually uh Flynn is pretty cool. Those were probably the six hour frames. Yeah, yeah. They they get broken into like a a grid, and you see the laser like suck one of the little little cubes out one by one. Uh, it's kind of pretty cool. Um, but then. When he comes back to the real world, it's just all at once. Yeah. Well, they ran well, out of budget and didn't want to animate yeah. it again. I wanna, we we want to go home now. <laughs> uh, so uh, so Alan meets with uh, Laura in the lab, and they they figure Flynn is the one trying to hack into Encom, and they uh, go meet Flynn at his arcade, where uh, Flynn does admit that's what he's trying to do. This is also when the movie establishes that Flynn is supposed to be like a really good programmer and also really good at video games, which becomes important when he's sucked into a computer game. And also has a really cool like hangout spot above the arcade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just very cool. He's very cool. Because he's Jeff Bridges. Yes. So then Flynn does the uh, customary info dump for the movie. Uh, we find out that three years prior, Flynn was a programmer at Encom and started working on video games in his spare time. And then another programmer, uh, Ed Dillinger, 
steals his game files and presents them to Encom as his own work without even changing the names of the games. And Dillinger gets a big promotion from that, and Flynn leaves the company at some point. I'm not, it's not clear to me if he was fired or if he just quit. Um, I don't know if they ever said that part. I don't think, think so. they did made it clear. So, yeah, and then since then, he's just, I guess, been running his arcade. Um, I do think and... it was a little funny that just like he, <laughs> this Dillinger guy is like, hey, these, look at these great games. And I'm like, you should be CEO now. <laughs> That's how no 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 that's how senior every... executive president. Yeah. <laughs> so then like kind of in that conversation, Alan mentions that if his Tron program was running, it could probably find evidence of the stolen work and, and shut something down. I'm not really sure. Or I guess shut the MCP down. Um and uh Flynn says that if he can get to a computer terminal inside Encom, he could probably uh, bypass the security lockout. So then they could run Tron and, and all that fun stuff. So uh, Flynn, Alan, and Laura uh, break into the Encom laboratory after hours, which is when we get the great With scene. Of no them. convincing necessary. Yeah. Let's, let's make that clear. Flynn is like, hey, this guy stole my games. Here's absolutely no proof of that. And I think he's got the files somewhere and the other two are just like okay yeah let's go break in they're all just i'll just you know that's what you do for your friends you uh you break into your company after hours and... you're not down for adventure zach come on <laughs> i don't think alan knew flynn beforehand yeah he, it, yeah he did. what do you mean well yeah, they he were, knew they that were, they were him and um his current girlfriend laura had dated or something he knew that much. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like they actually knew each other personally yeah, at that maybe, point. Maybe they just not. knew of each other. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, my my girlfriend's ex. Yeah, let's help him break into this building. That's what you do for friends. Well, I think yeah. they did establish that like um, Alan is also upset at the whole situation. So that was his motivation. Yeah, which that's that's weak. that struck me as really weird watching this movie where like he gets locked out of like what he's working on and I think anyone else watching that would be like, "Oh, I don't have to do work today." All right, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like so mad about it. He's like, "I wanted to finish Tron." They love programming. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, they they break into the Encom laboratory and we get the great scene of them opening a giant door. To which Flynn says, now that's a big door. It was a big door. It was a very big door. I don't understand why it had so many layers. Yeah, I wonder where they, what, what the actual, like, uh, that location where they filmed all this in. I wonder what it actually is. Same as the, all like the, a, like the laser area. Yeah. It's just a curtain. Um... So they break in and they leave Flynn alone at a terminal, which conveniently is directly in front of the laser that was being used to, to digitize the orange. And Flynn starts working and the MCP uh, speaks to him and tells him to stop. And uh, he doesn't. So the MCP turns on the laser and digitizes Flynn into the computer. Got him. I think the implication there was that that was the mcp's plan the whole time like he was like when when flynn started hacking in 
it felt like the MCP was putting on an affected panic, like, oh no, don't do that. Don't keep working at the terminal facing away from this digitizer. He was playing 3D chess, or 4D chess. Yeah. Well, you know that MCP is so, so smart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you see his head? So big. There's a lot of room in that cylinder. So Flynn wakes up in sort of like a loading area in the grid. He's kind of like pushed off to a sort of like holding prison area thing. But before that, there's there's one heck of a kaleidoscope, um, insane computer. Yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 what they show like between that is so bizarre. Yeah, that is like one of many parts in this movie where it, it makes the movie feel like just a very long tech demo. It's yeah. it's both a tech demo and just like a bunch of artists went so hard. Uh and they it it just it makes for a very interesting looking movie. Um but there is like an extended sequence of like going into a computer and like things flying around and like you're approaching like this like spherical thing with lasers pointing out and it's pretty cool and then it cuts to the mcp telling sark that he has a new recruit for the games and that he is a user and not a program flynn flynn is a user not a program and the mcp wants flynn to play in the games until he dies so that's the that's the goal but no funny business. Be fair about it. <laughs> yeah, be fair about killing this guy. But that one of the few things that's actually established is, but weirdly, is that the MCP is trying to 1984 everyone, all the programs, into thinking users don't exist. And any programs that still believe that users exist are the ones that end up in the prison and having to participate in the games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... It's, it's a, a very strange concept. And they call it, like, religion. Yeah, yeah. A religion of users. Yeah, users are, like, their god. Yeah, yeah, I was going to talk about this later, but that is one of the, like, ongoing plot elements in this movie that, like, I don't know if really works, which is that... Uh, users are, are basically, yeah, like in the place of, of gods. So there's like a sort of like religious element in this movie where you have programs who believe in the users, that the users exist and they can talk to them. And then other programs who either don't believe or like Sark are sort of like telling people that it's nonsense, but... It's like, it's a concept that yeah. makes sense when you explain it, but the way that it is portrayed in the movie is like is not really well done yeah yeah it feels like someone came up with it and then just forgot most of the time <laughs> that it was part of the movie and just every so often there's a line or or a scene or something that's like oh yeah we made a religion no it's it's just sort of like an underlying theme in the whole movie is that like believing in users is like a religion which which is weird because most of the programs communicated directly with their users and they talked about doing that. Right, before the MCP started like locking everyone off. Uh never heard about praying before, Zach. <laughs> but 
Also, I, I did have uh, in my in my notes that uh, at one point later in the movie, uh, Ram, one of the programs, says, "Oh my users." I'm guessing <laughs> instead of "Oh my god." But uh, but yeah, that was another part like you were mentioning earlier, Zach. Where like sometimes they did word search rounds, and then other times they just completely forgot. <laughs> so I, I guess do y'all have any specific thoughts about like how the computer world looks because it is a very distinct look there there's like three distinct looks there's the light show laser show abstract stuff where there's just a bunch of colored lines making abstract shapes and sort of outlining scenes there's the 3d renders which are very very simple and smooth and linear. Mm -hmm. And then there's the hand-drawn sets that look very hand-drawn. Yeah. The thing, like, so I saw Tron Legacy first, and and then I, like, watched this eventually. And I the thing that I always think is the neon, like, color on black in Tron Legacy look so much cooler than the white suits in this movie. I don't know why the suits are white. It's very weird to me. So they could stand out against the black I guess at that time they had to do that to make it stand out, yeah. Yeah, I think it was mostly a technical limitation. Yeah, the the costumes are a little bit weird. Um, Definitely more like there's a lot going on on them versus yeah like you said like in tron legacy when a lot of the clothes have a lot fewer lines um that are glowing Mm -hmm. Um, or sometimes they're just sort of like normal like uh leather biker clothes but like with some accent lighting it's a very different look in this movie (laughs) yeah like obviously there's a huge time difference between the two but like the costumes in this one look very dorky yeah i would say <laughs> it's like they weren't even trying to make them look cool because there is some cool stuff in this movie that, look, that looks pretty cool like the computer on the table we were talking about and stuff and like the ncom logo and all that and then these costumes just look very dorky yeah the world in the computer it is very like so, some parts of it are very like abstract art um like especially Later in the movie, when they get to the, um, like, they're on the solar sailor and they're going past a bunch of these sort of, like, landscapes, uh, other parts are very, like, futurism, where it's, like, these big, tall buildings with, with lights all over them. And I, I think it mostly looks cool. I do think sometimes it gets, like, a little bit too abstracty, where, like, I can't really tell where anything is. Like I, I remember, it, I remember watching the the part where they're in like the jail, and you know everything is like wireframed and and everything, and it's like, what are they like sitting on or leaning on? I don't. And know. And then the guards are like on top of them. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like um for me where I I think it loses some of the like coolness or effectiveness of what they were doing is when they have the big um landscape shots like the solar sailor is a good example because you're seeing this like huge landscape around them but there's like not a lot out there (laughs) 
Yeah. It's just like a lot of blankness. Well, I think that was intentional because the MCP was like hiding in an isolated spot. Mm. I, I think the MCP but, was supposed to be in the like center area. I think they said that. Yeah, but it's not like it's not like there's free travel to and from it. You have right. to use those beams and it the MCP has control over them or something. Yeah, and well we never also get like a good look at like where the programs are like that's the thing that like in in tron legacy that's very easy where you see like oh there's just a big city you can see in the mm -hmm. buildings there where they're traveling back and forth but like here the the movie goes from like okay they're in a room to like oh there's like a giant landscape i don't know where like everyone's place in this is and i guess that's maybe where it falls apart um i think the funny thing is in that the part we were talking about where he gets sucked into the computer world and you see all the crazy like spherical and lasers. And I, I think in part of that, they're trying to show like the world of where the programs are. Like part of it kind of looks like they're zooming in on like a globe or something. I feel like they were like zooming in on a city inside the computer or something, but it's just not, really shown that well it's so abstract so so flynn is on the on the computer world now and uh, he's sent to a prison with other programs waiting for the games and at this point uh like i he thinks he's dreaming i think is the implication he's like you know just so i can tell my friends like you know what this dream was about where am i and then you see Sark entering the sort of like prison area with his carrier, which it, it kind of looks like a flying aircraft carrier, but I, I do really appreciate like in Tron Legacy how they basically kept the shape of a lot of these things and just made them look better. Yeah. Like that that ship, that carrier is in Tron Legacy also. So, yeah, so Sark is in his carrier. He's introducing the new recruits to the games. This is when he goes on the little mini mini rant about, uh, quote, superstitious and hysterical belief in the users, quote, um, and how that will get you killed. And he also gives everyone their identity disc, uh, which is the little, like, disc that goes on their back uh, that they said... Uh, like sort of stores all of their memories and what they learn, but then that never comes up again. Uh, mostly the, yeah, the important part is just that it's that. a Frisbee weapon. <laughs> That's the main important part. <laughs> I didn't part. understand that. Like he said, if it breaks, then we will derez you. So, and like they yeah. didn't have it it's beforehand never and they still knew stuff. Even in Tron Legacy, it doesn't make sense. Well, in Tron Legacy, don't they at least like have it so if you lose it, you die automatically or something? I don't think so. Like, there's an actual they they no. demonstrate. It's just the same thing of like this is your identity disc. Don't lose this. Also, use this weapon to fight for your life. Well, at least in Tron Legacy, the the like the memory thing doesn't really come up, but like Flynn's disc being like the key to access in and out of the computer does become important. But you don't even get that in this movie. It's just like, all right, dude, use your frisbee. Have fun. And it does very much look like just a frisbee, by the way. It is. It is absolutely well, just a painted frisbee. They do use it one time when 
Tron himself sends up his disc to yeah. Alan, who is somehow already knowing that they want to destroy the MCP at that point. Um, and then he gets back a, a new disc, or his disc has been updated. And so if he throws it at the point of the cylinder, it destroys the MCP. Yeah, he got a he got a firmware update on his on his frisbee. <laughs> and that that's something that is a little confusing because they were like when when they were on the the solar sailor or whatever on one of the beams and it started to have a power surge and they were like, oh, we can't go to a different one. The next junction is like two nanoseconds away. I, is this happening? Did the whole movie happen in like two seconds? And if it did, how did Alan have time to send something back in that exchange? I do love that we're sitting here trying to <laughs> make sense of this. <laughs> no, Zach, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, I think the nanoseconds thing was probably just like the techno babble, like it wasn't intended to mean anything. Um, it's not even techno babble. I know it's, it's not a normal just unit using, of measurement. I, I know, they're just using words wrong. <laughs> Remember, nobody knew about you computers. Could, you could they definitely could say whatever they wanted to. No one knew what a second was. Come on. You could definitely tell this was at like the beginning of microcomputers becoming popular because everything is micro. Micro, micro. There's a micro cycle. As a oh, time yeah. unit. Which, there was that time yeah. unit. Like, how long have you been here? Micro 200 microcycles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that? Two minutes? Oh, this is a microcycle. Americans will do anything but use the metric system. <laughs> that is the metric system. Uh, anyway. So, uh, when, when they're in like the like battle prep thing, uh, Flynn and uh, Ram and whoever else is in that group walks past Tron, so we're introduced to Tron. He's throwing his frisbees. Uh, and he's fighting for the users. Fighting for the users. Well, so I guess in, in the which, analogy, he's fighting for God. So Yeah, but what? why was he fighting for users? I thought he was a security program. I guess there's a He's a security program there, it's... against like other programs, though. So, so Tron's doing a crusade? <laughs> he's... <laughs> Tron's a Quaker? <laughs> Crusades and Quakers are like <laughs> polar opposites. I don't know anything about any Quakers other than oatmeal, Zach. Quaker Quakerism is like the whole point is being peaceful and grounded. Well, that is kind of Tron. They don't throw deadly frisbees at people. No, but Tron is always like, he, he's, he's keeping things cool. He's the, he's the protection. Except when he immediately thinks his friends are dead, and then when his friends immediately think he's dead. Also, speaking of Tron, it has always been weird to me that the movies are named after Tron. He's not really a main character. No, he's there. I guess it's because it sounds cool. Yeah, that's entirely. <laughs> you can't name the movie Flynn. This this entire movie is just based entirely on what looks or sounds cool. That is the entire movie. Except I, for the suits they wear. Yeah, those are not cool. <laughs> but yeah, Tron is, Tron is interesting. Um, in the, the documentary, they mentioned that before this 
movie, uh, Bruce Boxleitner was mostly doing like Western movies. And like that totally makes sense when I'm watching this and like the way he like talks is very like uh, old timey Western. Yeah. I would say even like more so in Tron Legacy, he's he's pretty good in this movie though, uh, Bruce. I don't I don't know that there's really a, a a like terrible performance by anyone in this movie. I th- I think all the actors are pretty good. Yeah. I thought not. <laughs> Who did you think was bad? I thought the directing was bad because all of the actors felt equally like a lot of the deliveries felt really awkward and like monotonous. Like they were they were always speaking in the same sort of tone across the line and across scenes. I don't really know how to describe it well, but it didn't really feel like there was proper conveyance of emotions. I think the issue was when they were in the computer, the programs are supposed to like, I think the idea was like, they're acting sort of like the user who created them, but they're also kind of supposed to be more like robotic because they're a computer program. But then there's a lot of times where that's not true and they just act like normal people. And there's not really a, a like consistency there. It it was the acting even in the real world that felt a little strange to me it might have just been that i was entirely paying attention to jeff bridges (laughs) so flynn is sent to a battle game the this the first one i don't know how to describe it's kind of tennis but it's it's it's, squash right yeah yeah, using squash rackets probably yeah it's closer to squash and and they've got a ball they're hitting back and forth and when the ball when they miss the ball and it lands on the floor, it like removes part of the floor that they're on. Looked pretty um, fun. Not the gonna floor lie. they're on is like a target. <laughs> kind of want to play. Concentric. Are you going to play it over an endless void? Well, you got to have the endless void. Yeah, you got to have stakes. <laughs> no fun without stakes. <laughs> that was one of the better looking parts of the movie. They they used the the abstract shapes and like the laser light effects pretty well there i really love the jeff bridgesness in that scene he's just like so oh okay yeah this is game i got this he's very nonchalant about it flynn and the the program go back and forth in that game and then the program like you know has part of the floor taken out and he's like hanging (laughs) on a ledge and Sark, I guess, is like watching in a room some somewhere, and he's like, "Kill him!" And Flynn is like, "No!" <laughs> and then, and then Sark presses the button. That's that literally just removes... what he does. He like throws a tantrum. He's like, "No!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, where did all this come from? So then Sark presses the button that like deletes the rest of the program's floor, and he dies or gets derezzed. I'm sorry. Uh, and he dissolves into gold as he falls. Yeah, and then Flynn gets sent to the light cycle game, and he's put on the same team as Tron. Uh, they're kind of like hitting it off because Flynn. I so this entire like part of the movie, it's never clear to me what Flynn is thinking, because at first he like says like. Oh, I'm in a dream. Can you guys tell me where I am? You know, when I tell my friends about this dream, and then yeah, he goes like nonchalant into the the squash game, 
uh, and then he gets like really I like very panicky there, and then he goes to this, and when they're like in the loading area for the light cycles, he's like, uh, you know, my user wants me to take out the MCP, and Tron is like, oh, mine does too. So I guess like, does he think he's a program? now and no i think he was trying to hide that he was a user because he heard the whole speech about yeah. if if you think a user exists then you're gonna be killed and he's just and trying he's to like, get well, people if... to help him it is a little weird that he's like uh, it feels like he was planning escaping from the light cycle arena that whole time somehow yeah it definitely like i just wasn't when I was watching, it wasn't clear to me, like, when that transition was between, like, he doesn't know where he is to, like, oh, I know what I am and what I have to do. Especially because this entire sequence is, like, eight eight minutes long. <laughs> it kind of feels like there's a scene missing. And that that's that's something that I thought was a little weird, too. Like, the light cycles are probably one of the most memorable things from Tron. For sure. They barely showed up in this movie. <laughs> They were there for like five minutes, and then it was the weird uh, binder clip flying things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was another thing where it's just like entirely technical limitations. Like it's just such a pain to mix the, yeah. the CG light cycles with the, the real actors inside, or even just have the light cycles on their own when it takes like three days to render like one minute of this movie. I mean, even though in like Tron Legacy, there's only one light cycle scene. Also, well, there's there's one light cycle scene, and then like there is the bit where where Flynn steals the the old light cycle and goes into town. But yeah, yeah, I it. think the light cycles became a big part of Tron just because like didn't you say there was a video game made after the movie, right? Yeah, there was there was a tron arcade cabinet that had light cycles and i think one of the uh home console games was light cycles so the light cycles in this bit are are sort of like motorcycles that leave behind a light trail and they they turn it like 90 degree angle so it's kind of like competitive snake yeah basically <laughs> it um, really is and I like that high speed competitive snake and the, the players die either when they crash into the other team's light rails, like the, the, the trail they're leaving behind, uh, or they crash into a wall. Or their own trail. And leave a gaping hole in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, they do the light cycle bit for a while. It's, it's fun. Flynn, Tron, and Ram defeat the other team, and then they drive out of the like game arena bit through one of the holes left in, in one of the crashes earlier. It's really a bug in the game that you hit the wall and a huge opening to the outside emerges. And that's your way out. <laughs> they are pursued by tanks uh, as they're trying to get out, but they do eventually escape. Also, uh, sort of made me think of like what did you guys think about the music in this movie it felt underwhelming it's very like, weird it felt like it didn't have any bass mm -hmm. and i'm wondering did they synthesize it all or something because it it felt like very small yeah yeah it it was a lot of synth um the uh, music was composed by Wendy Carlos, who had previously worked on the music for A Clockwork Orange, 
1971 and The Shining in 1980. It is a mix of synthesizer music and orchestra. I don't know. I think there's a couple parts where it does sound really cool. Like, I, I like the music when they were getting chased on the Solar Sailor later in the movie. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of it... See, that's the part I felt like was really underwhelming, because it was this giant ship yeah. bearing down on them, and then it was like these high-pitched trumpets it's, going... Dee, it was dee, dee, a... dee, and it just felt that's, very that was silly. Scene I also thought of, too, when you were talking about the music not being great. It's very underwhelming in the solar sailor part, I thought. I mean, it's yeah. no Daft Punk. It's n- no, unfortunately not. I do think the music in this movie does like contribute heavily to the just overall vibe of like this is not oh. a serious movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it definitely helps reinforce the like this is an abstract art project. Art project bit. is a good way to put it. Someone turn this in for their <laughs> film school class. Uh, so yeah, they they get out of the the light cycle game, and Tron wants to take down the master control program, and Flynn is like, "I would also like to do that." Uh, so they head towards an input-output tower where Tron would be able to communicate with his user, Alan. Later, uh, Sark's tanks catch up to them, and they pew-pew uh, the light cycles. Uh, Tron thinks that the other two are de-rezzed. They're gone, so he... Just immediately. He, he's like, okay, I guess they're dead. Yeah, well, he yells first, and then, and then he goes. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. He has and another then, tantrum. Yeah, and then uh, Flynn and Ram are like in some rubble somewhere. Uh, so Flynn like carries Ram to a like the remains of a recognizer ship, uh, and then like he Flynn sort of like touches one of the panels, and the whole thing comes alive. And Ram's like, "Whoa, you're not supposed to be able to do that." Uh, and then that's, and then that's, dies. Yeah, <laughs> then he dies. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine he's perfectly fine and then yeah. he just decides to die well for well yeah and, and then he's like flynn's like yeah i'm a user and sam's like oh that's uh, sam uh ram is ram. like oh that's cool and then dies dies <laughs> i think i was sleeping during this part <laughs> i think the writers were too <laughs> well the writer <sighs> yeah so uh Tron, on his own little adventure, uh, goes and meets Yori, which is the program created by Lori, very creative, uh, who is uh, operating the Solar Sailor, which is, like, a big, like, ship thing that uh, flies on a, like, a, a beam of light, basically. It's not really clear what its intended purpose is. It just kind of looks cool. That's Sailing, a lot man. of this movie. It yeah. It feels like people who didn't know how computers work wanted to describe and illustrate how computers work in a way that people who didn't know how computers work would understand. So we ended up with a lot of metaphors that just didn't really make sense. It's free public transit. <laughs> There's no free public transit. That's, in that's why we don't understand it. I... <laughs> 
so yeah, then they both they both leave to go to the IO tower. It's not clear to me why they don't just take the solar sailor at this point, but I guess it would just be like Tron fighting everyone to get it. I don't know. Well, they went to the IO tower so that Tron could have his disc updated. That's that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and they go they, they meet, go meet. They meet Dumont who is sitting inside of a pyramid for some reason. <laughs> I know. And it turns was... out he doesn't need that. That <laughs> was just weird like... as character design. <laughs> I was just going to get to that, but yeah, yeah, they they go meet Dumont at the tower which is the the program made by one of the like uh senior people at Incom. The laser and, scientist. Yeah. Tron asks to communicate with his users and uh Dumont reluctantly agrees to help them. Um again, like going back to the like religious analogy, he's like I guess sort he's of an supposed oracle. to be yeah. Well I think he's supposed to be like a priest, maybe. He's an oracle. Um and the whole tower is like definitely supposed to be like a temple thing. Um, yeah. But he, he does he does I have an think... extremely silly costume though. I don't think reluctant is the right way to describe it. At first, he's just like, no, never, never, not going to happen. And then I don't even remember what they say. I think it's just that the bad guys show up at a window. And he's yeah. like, okay, go on through. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So Tron communicates with Alan. Alan gives Tron the code on his disc that will destroy the MCP if he throws his identity disc into the MCP's, like, neck. <laughs> basically <laughs> whatever the whatever the part under his head is uh so yeah so the critical then, artery so yeah tron and yori escape into the solar sailor that can take them to the master control program's base i guess uh so like his this is thing. something i didn't realize or i didn't like think of until a few minutes ago but i think the master control program is just another IO tower controller because you see when he dies, he's in uh, the stupid yeah. pyramid costume. He also has a pyramid costume, yeah. Maybe. So I think he's just at an IO tower. He's then like another. He somehow made it so that he's the only point of access, except however Flynn got in. Flynn is, you know, he's. Just hanging around. Uh, he jumps onto the solar sailor while they're escaping. And then they're all, like, talking after the, the ship is going. And he tells Tron and uh, Yori that he is a user. And both of them are just kind of like, okay. Cool. To, yeah, that's basically it. And there's a little little bit of a, a funny religious pa or parallel of, like, Oh, we thought users always knew what they were doing. They're like, let me tell you a secret. They don't. And it's like, aha, God doesn't know what he's doing or whatever. <laughs> Which religion is that where uh, Jeff Bridges is God? <laughs> the um, correct one. Mine? I, th I think I could get behind that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is Jeff Bridges problematic? Don't Google it. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Keep talking, Corbin. There's no controversies section on his Wikipedia. Eventually, Sark's carrier uh, catches up to the solar sailor. Uh, it destroys the sailor, uh, and then Flynn and Yori are arrested. Uh, Tron is believed to be dead, uh, but then they show him like hanging on to the edge of the carrier, 
Don't really know how that happened. Doesn't matter. This is another part where they just immediately accept that someone's dead. Does not mean like, oh, I can't see him anymore, so he's dead. <laughs> they, there's no object permanence. They have no, uh, yeah, exactly. The, something we forgot to mention, like in the chase scenes when he was flying the, the ship, the, the recognizer, and the bit showed up. Oh, yeah, I love the, the bit. The bit is so weird. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, they, they were like, oh, it's a bit. It can only say yes or no, but also it has an entire internal state and can understand things. That's not a bit. It's fine. I, I love that Tron is also a movie that has to have, like, a funny little character. Like, this is like... <laughs> For two it, seconds. Yeah, it's, it's, it is like uh, Minions, right? That's what the bit is. It's just a funny little little thing that makes noises. <laughs> where's, where's the bits movie? Where's the bit Minion? Or, or where's the bit plushie, I mean? Yeah, that would be good. So... Uh, Sark leaves the carrier with all the, the captured programs and takes them to the master control program. And then, like, after they get there, while the MCP is, like, sucking the life force out of the programs, they're like, oh, guys, Tron's still here. And Sark's like, oh! Uh, and then they, they go out and fight. Uh, so while they're, while they're tussling, uh, Flint jumps into the MCP's like beam to, I think they said distract it long enough for Tron to throw his disc into like the center part. I, I don't think they said that ahead of time. They were he was just like I'm jumping in. I I won't tell you why. Flint jumps in and and Tron throws his disc and the the MCP like explodes in a very funny way. Well, you're you're forgetting a very important part of the movie. Tron and Sark fight for a while, and then Tron chucks his frisbee at Sark, cuts his skull open. Mm-hmm. Little weird shapes fall out like brain know, like matter. Little crystals like come out of his head, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he falls on his face. And then the MCP's like, "Oh, we can't have that. I'm giving you my functions." And he comes back to life as oh, like a yeah, zombie yeah, yeah. and gets he very huge. huge and gigantic <laughs> and does absolutely nothing. <laughs> he yeah, walks he's... up behind Tron, Tron sees him, runs through his legs, and that's basically all we see of him. That was so funny. <laughs> the MCP <laughs> was like, he, he clicked the like, allow administrator access <laughs> button on, on Sark, and that's why he got so big. Again, like this movie is just things that look cool, like having a big, like monstrous sized program, like throwing discs. Like, I guess, sure, that looked cool. Having someone's brain fall out. Yeah. Digitally. Yeah. So the, the MCP and Sark are both derezzed, and then, like, sort of the entire computer world changes colors and lights up, and you see, like, all the other IO towers lighting up because now they can talk to users again. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Another important part. <laughs> okay. Um, the, it, it's pretty clear in the, in the movie that Tron and Yori have a relationship of some sort. Like, they're in love. Right, right. Kind of, sort of, reflecting the real world. And then when, when it seems like, when they think Tron has died, when they immediately accept it, the oh, first yeah. thing they do is kiss. <laughs> But then it's like, um, she seems like 
that was like a what is this like kissing like what she like she doesn't understand it because she eventually kisses tron and then he is like oh what was that yeah it, it was just like They're just pals before yeah um do, 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 do. oh yeah okay so yeah all the all the programs can talk again and then and then flynn is is re-energized into the real world and then Next to him, like a printer prints out, I guess the proof that his work was stolen. And this part was so funny to me because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why he was in the computer. Like, that seems so not important now. <laughs> but also, one, how did that end up happening? Two, why did it seem to be like the MCP's death note? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was wondering because. The... It's just some text on a dot matrix paper. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. That's cold, hard evidence. <laughs> you can't just type anything on paper, Zach. And then that that's like the next scene after that is Dillinger trying to talk to the MCP in his office. And that same text shows up on his computer and he sits down <laughs> defeated like... Well, I guess it's over, because well, this text showed up on my screen. They the jig is up, boys. <laughs> yeah, not really clear what, what, how that worked, but that's okay. And then, and then the, the last scene in the movie is uh, Flynn getting out of the same uh, Incom helicopter that Dillinger was in at the but start. During the day. And he's, yeah, during the day, so it doesn't look cool. And he's uh, meeting... Uh, Alan and Lori on the on the pad, and uh, he walks up and says, "Greetings, programs." And then the movie ends. And he's only there for an hour. Yeah, he got a helicopter ride to the top of his office building that he was probably already at, and then he told the helicopter pilot to come back in an hour to pick him up. Right. Yeah. the The implication in that scene is that uh, Flynn is now the boss because the that's boss. how that's also how companies work. Well, there could have been a lawsuit. You know, any judge who would see a piece of paper with some printed text on it in 1982. That's true. That's true. That's very, <laughs> very <that>. good evidence. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's Tron. Very silly movie. I'm remembering the, the fight scene where Tron and Yori are at some computer doing something. I don't remember what. And enemies start showing up and Tron is fighting them, the choreography is so slow. It's like, okay, you walk up to me and wait for a second while I grab your weapon and pull it away, and then I'll stand still while you try to punch, hey, and then I'll knock you off the hurt, edge. Zach. <laughs> <laughs> but also when, when um, Flynn was there in disguise, because he can also magically disguise himself as red instead of blue if he touches them, which is something weird that never comes up after that, uh, Tron accidentally hits him on this narrow bridge, and you see him, you see Jeff Bridges fall to the floor, roll over like twice to, quote, fall off the edge and hang on. It was really funny watching that. Yeah, I mean, it really is just one of those movies. There's a lot of old movies like this, I feel like, that you can say, yeah, that wouldn't be made today. Yeah, and... And and definitely part of the motivation for this was like Disney not having anything cool and interesting. And for whatever else you can say about this movie, it is interesting. 
It is. And <laughs> I do. It's, it's very different. And, and quite literally because of the like custom, like animation sheets that were made for this movie and everything else. Like there is not another movie like this. I do give Disney credit for like being like, what the heck let's do it. Put this <laughs> weird ass movie out there. Bob Iger would never. No, they wouldn't. It's true. It's like, oh, it's too risky. We can't. We can't do something like that. Make another Toy Story movie. This wouldn't make money. Let's make a new Marvel movie that makes four million dollars. Tron would have to be in the Marvel Cinematic MCU. Universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, mo- the movie ends with like Nick Fury sitting in the corner of like Tron's <laughs> room. It's like I'm. I'm putting together a team. <laughs> Uh, Dumont will return <laughs> in his pyramid. <laughs> Tron was uh, released in theaters on July 9th of 1982. It got mostly positive reviews, mostly just people saying kind of what we're saying is like, it looks really cool, but there's like not really a plot. <laughs> it just <laughs> it's just kind of there. Uh, Disney released several video games based on the movie that were like the games from the movie uh there was an arcade cabinet by midway games and there's also home console games for the intellivision and atari 2600 one interesting thing with uh, this movie after it was released was that the motion picture academy refused to nominate it for a special effects award because according to lisberger the academy thought using computers was cheating yeah it's very funny Tron made 33 million in theaters in the United States and Canada and another 17 million in other countries becoming Disney's highest grossing live action movie for 5 years. That's kind of wild. Yeah. Um but it was still seen as a financial disappointment and there were no immediate plans for a sequel. Um but over time it definitely got more of a cult classic. Uh, following in 2003 disney published a video game called tron 2.0 which was developed by monolith productions and it it functions as a sequel to this movie both bruce boxleitner and uh, cindy morgan come back as voice actors for that game it's still just like a one-off game like nothing really comes from that and then finally in 2005 there starts to be work on a possible sequel and then that continues development and eventually we get tron legacy in 2010 oh yeah it takes a very long time but we do eventually get another tron movie uh which again we will do an episode of at some point in the future yeah that's uh i think that's all we have to say about tron um does anyone have anything to promote Zach, do you have anything? Do you want to go? I, I don't have anything. Okay, great job. What about Thanks. you, Joe? You can follow me on Mastodon, I guess. Talshmo at mast.to. TechTales is also on Mastodon at techtales at mas.to, and on Twitter at TechTales Show. The links for those are in the show notes. Uh, also in the show notes is the uh, link to where you can currently watch the movie legally. Uh, and maybe that documentary, if I can find it online. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back in your podcast feed soon. <laughs>